And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Raina Cowan. and welcome to another edition of Cover to Cover, Open Book, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and I will be here for the next half hour talking about film. Uh, you know, there's, it's a very unusual thing for me to be watching television, and it's more unusual for me to watch television live. But I was so excited about this new documentary on Lorraine Hansberry that I watched it right when it aired, and uh, that was very interesting. So, with me to talk about this film, which is entitled Sighted Eyes, Feeling Heart, is uh, the director of the film, Tracy Heather Strain. Uh, she's a filmmaker based in Boston and has worked on a variety of films, uh, both as a writer, director, consultant, and producer over the years. Uh, her most recent film was for American Experience on Building the Alaskan Highway. Uh, Tracy Heather Strain, welcome to KPFA. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, let's start by, you know, Lorraine Hansberry. In the Bay Area, there's the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. She's always been sort of a presence that's known. And yet, in some way, there's so many things that one doesn't really know about her at all. So what introduced you first to Lorraine Hansberry in as much as that you'd be willing to spend as many years as I imagine you spent making this film? Um, well... I'm like a lot of people. I was when I heard the words of Lorraine Hansberry, I was just struck, and that happened when I was 17. So that's like 40 years ago. And uh, I, I, my grandmother took me and my sister to see the play "To Be Young, Gifted, and Black" at the Harrisburg Community Theater, and that's in Pennsylvania. And I just was taken by her. I'd never met a young black woman who said things and thought about things similar to how I thought about things. You know, I have to think about it this way. I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and it's not like you could turn on the TV and, and see people. I couldn't see people that seemed like me uh, on the screen. And uh, she was successful, and she had ideas for what she wanted. And, you know, she talked about the tough kids and the latchkey kids, and, you know, I wasn't one of those either. And so it was great. And so it just, she just kind of entered my consciousness, to borrow her, her phrase, about seeing Juno and the Paycock years later um, when she was in college. Um, and then I, um, when the 80s, when there were a lot of independent films just cropping up, it was a really exciting time, I felt. Um, I, I took that call up that Spike Lee gave to make black films, and Lorraine Hansberry jumped back into my consciousness. I was like, that's who there should be a film about, Lorraine Hansberry. So I don't count that as the official start, but I did start researching. We count the official start of this project in 2004, which is when I joined forces with Chiz Schultz, who's the film's executive producer. Chiz had access to the Lorraine Hansberry uh, Trust materials to make a documentary. And Chiz, by coincidence, is the one of the original producers of the off-Broadway play To Be Young, Gifted, and Black, which premiered in 1969 at the Cherry Lane Theater. So it seemed like it was meant to be. Well, so, so here it is. You have an incredible amount of material, and there's many different ways to tell the story. Mm-hmm. So how did you start thinking about how you wanted to put her ideas together with uh, this amazing sort of history, both in terms of what was happening politically, but also in terms of her family? 
Yeah, well, I really like films that are layered and kind of, you know, as intense. And, and uh, so I wanted to try to make it work on several levels. So, you know, the, 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 the life, art, and times level as much as I could. And, yes, there's a lot of ways to uh, think about telling her story because she's so connected to so much of whatever was going on during her lifetime. And uh, but I went back to the fact that people seem to only know a raisin in the sun, and that was very frustrating to me because I thought, her, you know, of course her significance in is a raisin in the sun on one level, but I felt like she spoke about her life presented other important um, material that should be shared with the world. And I think that, you know, starting with this idea of the long view of the civil rights movement, you know, and she, I think, represents that if you look at her life in early life with her family. She's from a family of basically activists, and she was groomed at an early age to think about doing something to change life for African Americans and to improve things. And, um, and that continued through her lifetime. So, of course, A Raisin in the Sun is a part of that, especially since she considered A Raisin in the Sun to be a protest play. So, once I started thinking about that, along with the team, and of course I didn't make this one alone, there's a team of people that worked on this over the years. I started figuring out how do you craft a story about this journey of an artist activist, and that's sort of how we made decisions about what would stay and what would go. Well, so to go back to the beginning of her life, you know, her father, as I learned from the film, her father was somebody who, uh, with the great migration to Chicago from African Americans, he wound up buying houses that when there was white flight and then transforming them into units for... Um, kitchenettes. Yes, kitchenettes for, for families. So in some ways, he was an activist and he was kind of a capitalist act activist in a way, and she became a communist activist. <laughs> and I'm wondering how you understand that transition from how he was viewing things to how she began to view things. Right, yeah. So, um, first of all, I'd also like to add that her mother was uh, also involved with all of this uh, uh, activism as well. And they were, the parents were a team. Um, I see the transition, I, I if, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but, but it seems like based on what she's written and said um, over the years of her life, that um, after her father died, her father was a Republican and he stayed a Republican long after many African-Americans had switched to the Democratic Party. Um, and it, it seems like after he died, you know, and won this U.S. Supreme Court case, so he won this case, you know, that opened up 500 new homes to African-Americans so they could, some could move out of the segregated South Side of Chicago. And he, he died of disillusioned exile in Mexico. He, the family was about to move to Mexico. Lorraine was about 16. And it seemed to us that based on what she said later in life, that she set out on a different course to try to bring about change. Um, and uh, she had already been introduced to communists in the South Side. There's a, a gentleman that she interacted with uh, who was a high member in the, the National Communist Party, an African-American man who lived in one of her parents' buildings. Um, so it seems like she was already slightly different than her family. People that knew the family said Lorraine, who was seven years younger than her next sibling, was very different. And, and so I think she just, she was more, um, she seemed to be more connected to people. And uh, less, she wasn't so much a society person. Well, and I was just going to say that Freedom, going to them to work at Freedom Magazine, which was founded by Paul Robeson, was, of course, the next major influence. Uh, uh, after a short time at um, the University of Wisconsin, where she was actually the head of the Young Progressives of America, and they were the people who, uh, you know, were fighting to have Henry Wallace become president. So she dropped out of school.
school in order to do basically political activism and journalism. <laughs> it sounds so familiar. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I think she was, she was interested, as she said, in, in an education of an, another kind. So she also was taking create. She took some creative writing class. She took a, like a jewelry making class. So she was she was she she was an artist. She had, after she dropped out, she took some art classes in, in Chicago. She had some beautiful drawings and, and paintings in the in the in her collection. Uh, so she she also she always seemed to fashion herself as an artist too. So we're talking about Lorraine Hansberry, and I'm wondering if you have a sense, like, there is something uh, remarkable about someone who is willing to put everything on the line to, to have a bigger vision. What do you think, sort of looking back on her life, what do you think that internal part of her was that uh, allowed her to push forward in this kind of way and come up with her own vision of who to be? I, I think that I think that Lorraine wanted to be true to herself, but I think she felt very strongly about um, the lessons that she got from her family. I think I think that she, um, you know, she was very much uh, a person who believed in the human race and that people should be able to pursue whatever it is that they feel that was inside of them to pursue, and uh, and so. I just think that she, you know she's just one of those people that came out is special in addition to all the like grounding and training and interaction. I mean, imagine though you know, working at Freedom with Paul Robeson and Du Bois is nearby, and and uh, you know I just I just can't even imagine how much confidence that might give you. And, and she ended up speaking in Uruguay on um, Paul Robeson's behalf, and his passport was canceled. She went down to this quote unquote illegal peace conference that the U.S. State Department had tried to um, stop, and gave this rousing speech, and people were screaming, Viva Robeson, Viva Robeson, and it seemed to energize her and give her a sense of the great possibilities of being both an artist and an activist. Oh, that's so wonderful. We're speaking with the director of the new film, Sighted Eyes, Feeling Heart, Tracy Heather Strain. So, you know, what are the things that I notice often about American experience documentaries? Uh, are the talking heads that sort of... Um, are the intellectual sort of backbone of who the person is. And usually they're really from maybe one and or two different strains put together. But uh, I was noticing the wide variety of people that you had speak about Lorraine Hansberry, both because of... Uh, the many different areas that she um, reached, but also it seems like you were really taking a risk, expanding them. Like, for example, uh, somebody you know who was connected to her theater, but then also you interviewed Ann Bannon, who was one of the first writers of lesbian literature. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like I was. I didn't feel like we were taking any risk. I I, feel, I felt really strongly that I needed to try to present Lorraine Hansberry and all her complexity. Um, you know, as best I could in a visual, audio-visual medium, because, you know, you can say certain things in books, and, we, you know, we have to show stuff with our, with our um, words. And uh, I was just delighted that so many people felt so strongly that, and they wanted to participate, but you're right. You know, there's, she's, so, she's into so many different things that I had to have a range. I had to have scholars in there. Originally, we wanted to just have Lorraine, like, to tell you more of her own story herself, but that wasn't possible. Um, uh, and, and so... Um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. So uh, Lorraine is, uh, we just we were just really happy to provide a breadth of um, of people on the screen, and uh, and so that's what you got. And it was hard, actually. Some people didn't make it in the final cut, and there's so many stories that they shared with us that were interesting. In addition, about Lorraine Hansberry, but also about um, their own lives that haven't been told, especially uh, some of the people who were activists. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So there's so 
on one hand, there there are the intellectuals, and then there's the, the writers, but then you also have these actors, like you have Ruby Dee, Sidney Poitier, Harry mm -hmm. Belafonte, who are actually not just actors. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they were producers, they were directors, they were involved in, in activist politics as well. So it seems like uh, you would have had so much material. <laughs> uh, there's so many exciting stories about her. Yes, we, we had an abundance of material. You know, if I count the, the to some total of the interviews we did on, as a yardstick, you know, 36 inches, we only have like two inches in the documentary. So we're hoping to do some additional um, uh, create some additional media um, when I get a chance to raise some more money. Um, but that's our plan to have some more media on our website and like webisodes and different things because there's so much exciting stuff to share and especially around uh, the activism and the stories of the other the people you see on screen. Uh, this is Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and we're talking with director Tracy Heather Strain. Her new film, Sighted Eyes, Feeling Heart, is uh, an American experience film and actually is available for um, uh, viewing for everyone on pbs.org right now. So, you know, you had to organize many different threads. So if we can just lay them out, there's the way that she's the communist, there's her, her writing, there's her artistry, there's a way that she is um, an activist that is sort of changing the way that the movement is seen. She also um, marries a Jewish man, which we haven't yet talked about, and then uh, winds out winds up at some point uh, coming out as a lesbian. So I'm just wondering about uh, all these different elements and how, as the director, you worked with the editor to figure out how best to weave these stories together. Well, it was a really long, hard process. And, you know, we, we started on paper, and uh, we put an extensive a proposal to the NEH, which was, which was uh, fortunately successful. And so we, you know, that helped start shaping our thinking and, and, and identifying the theme. So in addition to the long view of the civil rights movement that we saw as a theme, you know, we had this representation of African Americans on the on film and stage. We had things about, I knew I had one of the theme about black women as radicals and black people as radicals. You know, so it was, yes, it was a lot. And so we just, we had cards. We had, we, 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 did, we used every technique I think that exists to try to figure out the story. And then we started putting it together. So we had we had some really long uh, cuts of the film. Our rough cut was like four hours long, um, and you know uh, we had to bring it down to two hours. Uh, so that was it was painful and 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 difficult. But we also had to, as we were doing this, we were also continuing to research the archival material, and and some stories fell out because there was just wasn't enough material to cover it, or just not someone to speak about it. And, um, you know, we also have to balance budget. You know, we, we had to save money to do some of the limited reenactments you saw in the documentary. Um, and, uh, and so it, it just became a, a process of continuing to go back to, okay, this is a story, a journey of an artist activist, and, you know, and we wanted to have an arc of, you know, sometimes it seems like she's going to, people are going to hear what she's going to say and understand it, and then other times it's not going to work out, and, and or like with Raising the Sun, people are excited and it's successful in one level, but on the other hand, Lorraine Hansberry herself was frustrated because of people not understanding that this family was specifically African-American. It wasn't any old family as some wanted to see it. And then, you know, you have the Kennedy meeting where she gets to talk to the president's brother and to tell him face-to-face, -face, look, you, you guys got to do something about this. This is in the middle of the Birmingham campaign of the, the modern civil rights movement. And, you know, kids have been attacked by dogs and hoses. And, um, and she can't get through to Kennedy. You know, James Baldwin later wrote that Kennedy 
Kelly was the only one she couldn't get through to, he thought. Uh, and then, of course, her health fails, her body fails her. So, yeah, it was it was comp it was really hard and uh, painful. <laughs> Were there things that, through the course of you making the film that you learned about Lorraine Hansberry that uh, kind of blew your socks off that you had no idea about? I had one of the things that I had no idea about was that she had been engaged before she married Robert Nemiroff. Oh. And uh, she had been engaged to uh, an, uh, an activist, a, a fellow member of the young, uh, at this point she was a member of the Labor Youth League. Um, one of the interviewees uh, was, was his roommate. And he's actually in the film. There's a picture of a young man with his, kind of giving a speech with a, an American flag next to him, he's an African-American man. And that was, the, that was the young man that she was engaged to. Uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I was told by uh, his former roommate So uh, she winds up marrying Nemiroff, and there's a, a little bit of a scene um, in the film about that. But uh, what was it like for um, her community, for her to be marrying this Jewish man who is um, so connected to her theater work? Yeah, um, so I spoke to Lorraine's sister, Mamie Hansberry, and her first cousin, Chanel Perry. And in the documentary, um, you have Chanel's response to my question about whether people were upset about that, given that the Hinsbury's family were such, the Hinsbury family was such a sort of, you know, race-conscious family. And, uh, and Chanel's response, as you hear in the documentary, is, I'm sure there was talk, but basically it's really nobody's business. So. <laughs> and Mamie Hansberry um, said that he had the, she said something like he had the tools to help her succeed in life. So that's that's all I can tell you. And what about her lesbian relationships? And do you and her? Uh, you know, you only mentioned that just a little bit. But um, what were, what was that development like for her? As far as you know, I, I you know I actually don't know because in some ways, Lorraine Hansberry's journals and diaries, at least what was made available to me or what is available, um, just do not provide like I did this because I because of that in, in a kind of clarity that one would like if you're making a, a you know, biographical documentary. So we were just pleased to get to see the letter that she wrote to someone where she, she says, you know, um, you know, I've always known before consciousness that, it, you know, it's not the man for me, I'm paraphrasing, of course, and, uh, and it's, it's the woman because it was important for us to have that said in her own words. Uh, so that was the only direct, I mean, she talked about being a lesbian. She talked about her friends and, and her, her um, partners in her diaries. But I can't tell you about the development, about, you know, the transition from, you know, was there this time? And, and some of the people we'd hoped to interview were not, did not agree to be interviewed. Mm, I see. Yeah, we tried, we tried for, you know, most of the 14 years. Um, but, yeah, and to sort of address something that you said earlier, uh, Lorraine Hansberry was not out. She was secretly doing, you know, writing only a small group of people, mostly a, a group of women who were kind of in a literary circle, um, knew, knew about this. Um, and, uh, and so that includes, um, you know, like Patricia Highsmith and um, the author of Harriet the Spy um, and uh, among other writers. Oh, interesting. So we're speaking with Tracy Heather Strain about her film, Sighted Eyes, feeling hard about Lorraine Hansberry. You know, uh, 
you've been working on this film for so many years. And when I watched this film, what struck me is that uh, Lorraine Hansberry was so radical that I wondered about you being able to get funding for her. On one level, she's, you know, the writer of A Raisin in the Sun and all of that. But on the other, uh, she was such an activist in all these ways. So what, what do you think the trajectory was? And do you think you would have been able to get the funding initially? Or do you think it really took to now to do it based on what was happening sort of in the world? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that... Um it was challenging raising money for the documentary, I think, because it was hard for people to think that there was more to say about her than a raisin in the sun, even though we would write proposals saying that. And so, so I do agree that the society has changed. I think the, t the timing of our documentary coming out when it has is just a coincidence, actually a good coincidence. But, um, you know, <laughs> you can ask our Kickstarter backers that we kept saying, we're really done by this year. Um, so some we hoped um, some access to materials didn't happen as quickly as we hoped. Some there was some sickness and you know staff change, all sorts of things that happened in a life you know happened on this project. Um, but I I think that you know once we got our production grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, uh, people were excited about the project and um, came on board. I do not think that her. In 2011 and 2010, a lot of books came out about black radicals and activism and black activists and female activists. And, and so that the activism side of this project developed more as time went on, as we got more access to her actual writings and her diaries and, um, and other materials. So it was an evolution. It's not that we didn't say that she was an activist. Um, I do think maybe back in 2004 we might have used, you know, she was, you know, civic engagement. <laughs> but, uh, but after like 2008, I think we felt comfortable using the term, you know, activist. So if you were speaking to a class now about Lorraine Hansberry, what would, the, would be the bullet points that you would want everybody mm -hmm. to know about who she was? Uh, high school classes, for example. Um, yeah, I think that I would really, I would really encourage young people, especially if it's a, a classroom of students of color, to look at how smart Lorraine Hansberry is, how she was able to get done what she did, because she was really smart, and she didn't finish college, but she kept educating herself. She read and read, and she knew her stuff, and so she could handle with Mike Wallace and Otto Preminger and, and um, David Susskind, and, you know, and not back down, and even, you know, Robert Kennedy feel comfortable. The other thing is that I think she provides an interesting role model for people who may be struggling with identity, and she's struggling all these different identities, and, you know, it was maybe a challenge for her, but, you know, life is a little different today, and, um, and I think that, I think she's a great, um, you know, role model to, you know, remind people that, you know, they're not alone, no matter which, whatever identity they're having, you know, struggling with, whether it's black, female, um, you know, lesbian, uh, Lorraine, Lorraine is, you know, all of those things, and so as many people talk about her as an example of intersectionality, which, you know, wasn't a word used back then, and then academic achievements, one of the obvious ones, Lorraine struggled to get the words out that she, she knew she wanted to say something to the world, and she struggled to get it out, and, you know, she was persistent, and she got a good team around her, and I think that if you can show passion about your sub a subject that you, you want to, you know, something you want to say to the world, if you can find allies and supporters, um, they can help sustain you. Uh, so I think those are some of the things I would say to a class. I think, you know, teachers, you know, that's you know, English teachers and social studies teachers can talk about a race in the sun, but I think Lorraine 
is how you started, that having real characters that don't necessarily, um, that, I don't know, they don't agree with each other. They have different values. They live in a family together, <laughs> and yet they are, um, they're trying to figure out how to work something out, which is just remarkable. Oh, thank you. So I think that that part uh, also stands out in, in the way that you're telling the story. Now, one of the things about this film, which is, Remarkable, not only do you get to um, go to screenings and people can see it on the big screen in areas, but also it's streamable through American Experience at pbs.org so that there's a really a chance for a lot of people to have the opportunity to catch this film even if they didn't catch it when it played on PBS directly. Yes, yes. I, I do hope people can catch it at um, pbs.org. And, um, and we have social media, so if you want to connect with us, we are on Facebook, Science by Feeling Hard, and on Twitter, and, um, and uh, what else are we on? We're on uh, Instagram. And uh, life has been quite hectic for us, and we're not on it all the time, but we try to get back to people when we can. Um, if people have questions or want to stay connected with us, as we develop more you know, media for this project, the Lorraine Hansberry Documentary Project. Yes, because it seems like she's somebody that you can spend many years, even though you already have from 2004 to now, but yeah. you can spend many more years capturing all the essences of her in yes, different yes. ways. Right, unfortunately I don't have to do that so much myself because some great books are coming out. Uh, one is coming in September from um, Imani Perry, who's in the documentary. Uh, so you could call her twerking on a book about Lorraine Hansberry. I think it's focused more on, um, you know, a theater, but I'm not sure I shouldn't even say that because I get to ask him personally to see her. And then Margaret Wilkerson, who's in the documentary, has been working on a biography about Lorraine Hansberry, and, and she had a chance to interview many people that had already passed when I started this film, so I'm really looking forward to her biography. Great. Saturday's Feeling Heart, the film on Lorraine Hansberry. You can watch it at pbs.org. Tracy Heather Strain, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Frame to Frame. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Great. Randy Cowan here. I'll be back next month to talk more about film. Thanks so much for listening.
Black Lives Matter. That's what Patrice Cullors and others articulated that has become one of our powerful movements for change today. As one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, Ms. Cullors discusses her new memoir, When They Call You a Terrorist, Thursday, January 25th at 7.30 p.m. at First Congregational Church, 2501 Harrison Street, Oakland. KPFA Upfront's Cat Brooks hosts this KPFA benefit with wheelchair access. Tickets through Brown Paper Tickets, Markets Books, and other indie bookshops. You're listening to KPFA 94.1 and KPFB 89.3 in Berkeley, KFCF 88.1 in Fresno, and K248BR 97.5 in Santa Cruz. You can stream KPFA online or listen to our archive shows anytime at kpfa.org. Ever plan to motor west? Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Get your kicks on Route 66. It winds from Chicago to LA. More than 2,000 miles all 